Hey, have you ever wanted an opportunity to learn and hear great conversation? If you want a chance to join that conversation. Each week we get the chance to talk to different creative people from all walks of life, whether it be singer-songwriters, writers, comic book writers, comic book artists, different creatives out there in the world. Even some wrestlers and people that get into different things like that. So we want the opportunity to have those conversations and we hope you'll join us. Thank you for coming to join us on Conversations About dot dot dot. The fun part is to be who fills in the blank. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, please welcome, please, please welcome to another fun-packed, fun-filled episode of Conversations About dot dot dot. My name is Will, and I am the host for today's show. I get the honor and the opportunity to interview Tess Fowler, awesome artist. Uh, I first saw her work on Rat Queens. Uh, I've heard about her work on other projects and things that she's done. And so I wanted to get the chance to talk to her, not only because she's a comic book artist, but because she has a really powerful story about surviving through some not necessarily great circumstances. And not only surviving, but learning how to thrive in the midst of that. And, you know, anytime we can get somebody on the conversation to talk about surviving through situations, that's something we always want to do. So first things first, Tess, would you mind saying hello to the people? Hello, people. How are you? <laughs> All right. Good deal. Uh, I, I'm going to say Tess is also a cancer survivor. I know she's still yep. going through some processes, but yep. uh, I'm believing she's a survivor. She's going to survive through it. And uh, that'll that'll be more to the story to add to the layers that is Tess Fowler. I, I tell exactly. people a lot of times that I believe we're kind of we're all a bit like an onion. Yep. You know, some people, if you know, some people will look at you and they'll kind of write you off when they first look at you. Some yep. people will look at you and take time to get to know you and cut the layers a little bit, and then they'll realize how valuable you really are. Yeah. You know. So, Tess, before we, it's always we like to get started with an origin story. Not everybody is a group of women who are able to get into a role playing game and fight and go through <laughs> crazy stuff. And not every, uh, not all of us are, have been rolled up in an old school paper tabletop D and D game, and you know with D twenties and all that sorts of yeah. stuff. And you know, not all of us can 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 hit the hit a. Um, we all still hate to hit a one. Yeah. You know, though no matter what the situation is, uh, but we always wanted to start off with the origin story. So tell us a little bit about how you grew up, uh, things you got to as a kid, things you enjoyed. Things you enjoy even today, as far as what's going on. So I'm gonna shut up and let you start talking. <laughs> right on. Well, I would. I have a very weird, pretty unbelievable origin story. Um, I'll try to make this as short as possible. Uh, I was born up in Northern California, um, San Jose, to be exact. My mother was a married mother of four uh, when I was born. When she met my father, who was a con man from texas he was married multiple times and his shtick was he pretended to be native american and he made pottery like ceramics um he would go town to town in a little rv and he would hook up with housewives board housewives in ceramics classes and nine months later, out popped me. <laughs> so um, I was born into a family 
that where my mother was of course about to go through a divorce and she entered the workforce in the 80s and I was at home all the time with grandma and grandma bought me Archie comics uh grandma would not buy me G.I. Joe's but she bought me She-Ra because she thought it was a girl's toy uh little did she know my She-Ra's went to war on my My Little Ponies uh, <laughs> I hold on hold on hold on hold on hold on because yeah. you can't just say that and just bypass that <laughs> Because I'm looking, I'm thinking to myself, so Shira and My Little Ponies. And if I remember, if I'm not mistaken, that's like G2, right? <laughs> what was that? That's like G2, Generation 2. It's like Generation yes. 2 ponies, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I was a brony for a while, y'all. <laughs> I'll put that out there. Y'all should know that about me by now. I, yeah. But anyway, uh, so I'm just sort of thinking, I'm like, how would that go? Because... Wow, like you've got Shira and you've got like Glimmer and Bo and all them versus, and, and I don't even remember, I think the only one from G2 that was, was, was carried over was, uh, I think Applejack maybe and Fluttershy. Yep. I think the rest of them were all different types uh, that I don't remember. My sister watched a lot of my, that Milo Polier. Uh, well, see, I wasn't really, I didn't know there was a She-Ra cartoon until years later. I knew there was a movie with her and He-Man yeah. and My Little Pony as well. I didn't know there was a show. So all of the stories and everything came from me. Okay. Oh, the uh, garbage truck is coming, so I'm going to switch rooms real quick. Okay. <laughs> it comes and it just, it's so loud. It's ridiculous. It's That's like an editing. I can always just edit stuff out <laughs> if need be. So the rest of the world will never know that the garbage truck came. <laughs> of course, but we no, can always she play the audio. We can always do the audio for Garbage Man from uh, Scott Pilgrim and just nice. intersperse that for no reason. <laughs> okay, so Shira, like originally, because I had like 200 My Little Ponies. Wow. I had an army. And I had a bunch of the houses and, you know, She-Ra had that swan and that seahorse that she rode for a while. Yeah. So She-Ra was a commander of forces, like mutated forces. The My Little Ponies, they only knew peace, you know, mm -hmm. they had had peace for, for hundreds upon hundreds of years. So, of course, they clashed in the beginning because She-Ra was like a, a war god. So they clashed but eventually in the end after like you know half the ponies forces were decimated they became friends <laughs> then they joined forces to go defeat you know whatever else was coming which was usually like giant stuffed animals okay get to like squash your city right like so like yeah. kaiju stuffed animals would come in and wreck everything and then here and the ponies had to get together and fight them I love the idea that the Milo Ponies and Shira would eventually team up because they had to face the kaiju-sized stuffed animals that would tear up. I am loving this right here. This and would this be, is, yeah. No, this is literally, this is, I've been wanting to tell stories of this type since I was itty bitty tiny. That was why I got into comics. And that is basically a lot of what's in the comic I'm working on now, that type of thing. Okay. That sounds incredible. That, that sounds incredible indeed. So you you grew up in a very, I'm almost going to say, in a world I would only expect to see out of a soap opera. Yeah. 
uh, because of your dad, your, your, your dad and being a con man out of Texas, which I lived in Texas for several years. And, and I know, you know, everything can come out of Texas, good and or bad. Yep. Uh, but wow. So yep. anyway, let's pick it up from there. So uh, he, you know, came and went. I saw him once on like my third birthday. So he really wasn't an influence, but he was an artist and it did somehow come down through the blood. That's why my tagline has always been artist by blood and trade because I was drawing for as long as I can remember. And my mother nurtured it. Um, Never let me go to school for it. She was like, we are not, you are not going to college for art. She, and her thinking was, I don't want anyone telling you how to do what you do. She, she felt being self-taught was hugely important. Right. Um, which I do think helped me because I came out of that severely independent. Um, had I not had the abuse, I might've gone a completely like punk direction, <laughs> but with the abuse, I was a little more fearful. So entering into comics, I really wanted to play by the rules. Um, but coming up through high school, I didn't get out a lot. I was really sheltered. So someone one day when I was 13 in high school brought in ElfQuest. And my world was completely altered after that. Like that was the book for me where I was like, oh, women are allowed to do this. Because before that was the image boom. I had I was born in 81. So I had only ever seen image books or, you know, a handful of X-Men books. And I thought, oh, you know, this is really cool art, but I guess there's no place for the art that I make. Right. When I found ElfQuest, I was like, oh, I do belong. Okay. But had no idea what a convention was, you know, how to even get started. I just, that's when the dream really fully began for me. And Uh I had always drawn stories of my own, but actually attempting a comic felt really intimidating. I started making comics for real, for real when I was 17, when I first saw Chasing Amy. That was my big, like, oh, look, there's a woman doing this. And when Holden talks about he wants to make comics, you know, when he has something to say. And at the end where he drops the comic on her convention table and it's, it's that beautiful art. And you're like, wait. And I actually, I believe that art was all red. But yeah, it's Mike Elric, yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous art. And looking at that, the first time I saw that movie, I just sobbed. I cried and cried and cried. And I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. And then finding my way to that took me a little more than 20 years. I only just realized what I, what I really, truly intended to do January of 2020. And, you know, then cancer tried to take me out. So <laughs> I had to fight that first. But now I'm better. I'm in remission and making my comics. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Chasing Amy. A buddy of mine and I sat down one day and spent 45 minutes trying to explain to somebody else that we knew why the whole scene with Cooper X Mm -hmm. was one of the greatest, like, understandings of race relations Right? In a movie that had ever been done for comedic effect. But 
it works on another level because he's talking about a lot deeper stuff, like beyond the anger of the character. Yes. He's talking about a lot of deep lying stuff that has been in comics for decades. I mean, you know, nope. yeah, the title of the book for me was a bit hard ass just because yeah. I was like, if my mother and I were watching this, my mother would be like, white hating coon. Oh, well, how exactly. that works? You know? Of course, my mother also my mother also smacked me upside the head one day because I was laughing at a scene in the movie Roots where the um, the guy you know is beating Kuta Kente and, and he says your name is your name is Toby you know and he's like Kuta Kente and she thought I was laughing at the experience he was having I was like no I'm laughing because that white dude sounds funny. <laughs> And she's like, oh, like, but she was like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Like, no, you didn't do it. You know why I was laughing. Like, she went backhand full power swing. Like, she was just <laughs> and but when you look at that scene in in Chasing Amy before it kind of because you really that really sets up this idea that like a hustle that can go on in a comic book world. Yep. But also when you have, for example, like the what's a Nubian? Yeah. <laughs> you know? and it's just these funny things but it's just like there's so much I feel like in the comic world that we still don't know about each other you know? Yeah. you know like when you talk to a lot of African American um, artists and stuff like that you know it's 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 like you you, you and, and you and I don't know if you've experienced this side of it but you'll have a lot of people that will tell you hey that's some great work man that's some great work I'm glad you're doing that they said, oh, really, you know, well, I'm doing a book in a couple of weeks. Would you mind supporting me by buying it? Oh, no, I'm not going to buy the book. I'm just telling you the art's good. Yeah. Like, thanks, because yeah. I just draw this art to sit on shelves that no one's going to pay for it from. <laughs> well, that's the thing, though, is this entire industry has been built by, you know, white men that don't like to share. And... I there are so many times you know that I've been offered gigs or because it, it let me backtrack a little bit when you first get into comics when you first you know quote unquote break in you have a shelf life ahead of you of about five years okay. if you say yes to every project every you know Marvel DC Dark Horse whatever you get a shelf life of about five years before fans and companies are like eh I've seen it I'm out. So that's why you have these kids who come in and they skyrocket right to the top in like two years. And then you see them everywhere. And all of a sudden you're like, Hey, where'd so-and-so go? They used to you know, be all over the shelf. I got a lot of opportunities when I first broke onto the scene for quite a few years, I got a lot of offers and this is going to sound really awful because most people in my position I know would say yes but I said, no, I got in the habit of saying no fairly early. Like, no, that's not for me or no, I don't agree with that. But then I started having to say no because I got to see how the sausage was made. Oh, not the sausage. The sausage is super racist and sexist. It's so, I'm so sorry. It's so bad. And there are things that I have seen, things that have been said to me, things that have been done where I was like, you know what? I'd rather be poor. <laughs> I don't need your money. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is there okay? So you mentioned there were things said. 
and, and, and everything. So can you, is there a story? I'm sure there are multiple stories, but just like one story sure. that you can share about the experiences. Sure. Uh, I can't give names. Oh, but no. That's whatever okay. Yeah, whatever you can tell. Um, well, you, I mean, pretty much everybody knows the story of me working on Rat Queens and how the artist before me was arrested for domestic violence. Yeesh. Um, do you know that story? No, I don't. You don't? No. Oh, you did not fall all the way down the Google hole. <laughs> Long story short, I worked on uh, Rat Queens for like one arc. Um, the gentleman who co-created the book uh, with the writer um, ended up being not a very nice person and um, abused his wife and abandoned his family, um, was sleeping with all kinds of fans and just had a really horrible reputation. Book was always late. And I was trying to do work with the writer on other projects um, and eventually got brought in on Rat Queens basically because there was nobody else. Um, and it didn't end well because I found out, you know, the two co-creators were still friends and were starting to work together again. Um, I was friends with this gentleman's wife, the, the spousal abuser. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I probably should rewind. Um, they are both black. And as a black woman, she spoke her mind about the situation and pretty much all of the comic, comic book industry was like, and who cares? I was expected to keep working. I was expected to ignore that this had happened and that I was representing for this man. Um, it was a really, really hard time. And there were editors and writers and other creators who said, uh, pardon my French, but fuck her. Who gotcha. cares? This woman was posting photos of the bruises around her neck. She was being very honest and very vulnerable. And so one day, I don't know if it was a year later, year and a half later, I forget what was going on within the industry at the time, but on Twitter, I was like, listen, I was like, Com the com American comic book industry hates black women. I was like, that's just, y'all proved it to me. Like you made sure I knew. I was like, so yeah, I'm gonna say it. This, you know, whatever was going on at the time, I said, this is true. I've seen it firsthand. They do not like black women. And if you are a black woman with a voice, they will shut you down. I'm in the middle of this rant. I'm in the middle of talking about this. Mm -hmm. We're all having a discussion when a certain company decided to shoot me an email offering me a book where the team was made up of so far one of the greatest black women writers we've ever had okay and the characters the cast was entirely black okay and it was like it was sold to me right at the outset as this is an innovative book look at us we're so progressive and i'm like this is the first black woman writer you've had ever but the, how is that progressive how long did it take you how long did it take you to, <laughs> like okay sure yeah and i'm like okay let's look at how many black women do you have on staff 
how many black people period and it, they had like one black editor <laughs> I was like you know what guys I said you know you want to do this great pioneering thing awesome here's a list of black women artists I was like don't don't do this like you know thanks but no thanks I was very respectful I was very nice but I was very blatant and the editor was like, you know, no one says no to us, right? I was like, yes, I know, I'm well aware, but I, I'm literally, I need to, you know, put my money where my mouth is. I said, if I'm gonna say these things, which I'm literally saying 30 seconds before I got this email, I was like, right. I need to stick to it. Like, that's not cool, man. So they said, okay, you know, thank you, we understand. And this was right before Comic-Con. They wanted to drop this book at Comic-Con. And so they wrote me again. <laughs> oh, wow. They weren't taking no for an answer. They said, well, we checked with all those Black women you sent, and they're all busy. I was like, then find another one. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, say, yeah, there are other Black comic book artists out there. Yeah. You know. Hello, you ain't looking. <laughs> so they got me on a conference call. Oh, wow. with another editor and wanted to talk about it and I said sure I'll talk about it no worries okay. and I went and I had that conversation with two head editors at this very large company and I repeated my feelings and said you know this is I even said maybe a future issue after you know you have the right team and I can be a support yeah. like I'd be cool with that and they were like no 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 we need your art on this book. You can make it really badass. I said, I'm aware of that. I said, but there's so many hundreds of women who could do a better job than me and should be given this opportunity. Right. So that did not end well. Um, I told them point blank. I said, I do realize this means you will never call me again. And they were like, yeah, you're probably right. Um, but of course, gave me the whole spiel about like, you know, you'll never be blacklisted, blah, blah, blah. And then I said, that's okay. I'm okay if you never call back. And they didn't. And that's just one. And that is, uh, <laughs> I can't out myself, but that is that is a very huge company, very yeah. influential. Yeah. And I was when I was asking questions and asking, you know, who's on staff and who's who's directing this and how much power are you actually giving this writer? I did not like the answer. So I said, yeah, I'm good. Um, that has been the situation across the board in this industry. Yeah. And that's one of the main reasons why I feel like the mainstream American industry doesn't have a whole lot to offer me. Uh, and I'm, I'm not the type of, of beast they want in their midst. <laughs> Cause gotcha. I, I the balls down. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because when I I talked to LL McKinney, and that was one mm -hmm. thing she mentioned too. She said that you know it's funny how one of the biggest critiques of her book Nubia that she did for the teen teen graphic novel for a company, uh, mm -hmm. she mentioned and she said that because it was a question I asked as a person that had read it. I said, you know, well I noticed that a lot of people are being critical of the fact that there's no like standout good white male character. Like all mm -hmm. of the white people in the book tend to be either super racist or just very non-committal. 
Yeah. You know, like, like they're in the background, but they're never making their voice heard. Yeah. And she was like, well, you know, the, the, the white people are in here. There are people in here that are like this, you know, and these people are here and this is the person. And, it's, and I was like, yeah, and I understand that. And I appreciate that. The reason I'm asking the question is because I want to understand from where you were coming from, you're writing. Yeah. Because it's one thing when a bunch of critics come in and read a work and they say, well, I didn't see this. This did, you know, everybody's talking about representation, but I didn't see a good white person in the whole entire thing. It's like, so have you not read comics ever before <laughs> this? Like, I mean, we can just, we can literally, we can literally just limit our conversation to Falcon and the Winter Soldier series. Yeah. And Sam Wilson's whole struggle, even in the comics, to become Captain America. And then the yep. first major storyline that they did was literally the hashtag, not my Captain America. Yep. And we, so we spent a year, I got so mad. So mad. <laughs> um, when they did that Sam Wilson first book, mm-hmm. had a regular cover, it's a beautiful cover. He's standing there with the wings, with the white, white blue outfit, with the shield. And I'm like, yes, that's an awesome cover. They came out with an alternate cover that had like him standing there with two kids and, and you know, and rap poses with the no flex zone in the background. <laughs> and I'm sitting at the comic book store screaming, why? Why do we need <laughs> to accentuate his blackness by giving him a rap kids in the background? <laughs> and somebody's like, well, maybe it's just, it's not about race. It's not? <laughs> it's right here, it's about race to you. I said, I'll tell you what, when they bring Steve back, because we know that's coming, like, yeah. Oh no, Steve's old. He know it's coming. I'm a <laughs> fan of comic books for almost as long as I can read. Yep. They're going to bring Steve back when they do, and we get a cover of my of Steve Rogers kicking and grinning on an old porch with two older white dudes from Vietnam from World War II being <laughs> my old Kentucky home, and I'll come back and buy this cover and that one too. <laughs> but if that never happens, and it won't. <laughs> and I'm not buying this cover. This is dumb. Yep. And they were just like, oh, but you know, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be fine. Maybe it just wasn't meant for you. But why wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> of all the people that you would think would gravitate toward a book about a black man who was the backup for Captain America for forever, to the point where Bucky took over the role of Captain America before he did. Which I'm cool with that. The storyline at work it made sense, but the eventual progression should have been Sam should have been the one to take the role, and he did. But then, like I said, they immediately went to a not my Captain America thing. Yep. And I'm like, why? I mean, even Axis, uh, they did an Axis storyline where, of course, uh, what was it? Red Skull somehow had the abilities of Charles Xavier. Yep. So he's telling Thor. Well, he doesn't even look like you. He's not a pro- he's not a proud looking Aryan man. Why are you putting this in a comic book? There's <laughs> Red Skulls in there, literally telling Thor he's a black. Basically, he's a black dude. You shouldn't listen to him. And then Thor starts trying to beat him up. I'm like, what? I'm like, jeez. Just just go ahead and just tell me. Basically, you know what? Mar- you know you know what? Uh, yeah, we're going to put this guy in this role, but we're not going to give him any of the respect he's due. We're not going to give him the moment because they all have the moments. Captain America as a whole always has a famous speech rallying call moment. As far as I saw, we never got that with Sam. 
Yep. Next thing you know, uh, Kobe shows up. Steve's young man again. There we go. We got Nazi Steve. We got we got Hydra, not Nazi Steve. We got Hydra Steve. Yep. And then and, and that's it. And it's just like, and we just kind of relegated Sam back to Falcon. Just got slid him back. Yep. <laughs> <No>. yep. <laughs> you never get to win. You never get to be on top. Yeah. There, you're not gonna get the the romantic leads. You're not gonna get the you know, all the all the books that might somewhat have the representation, you know, that's good. Those are going to get canceled. You're never going to be important to them. Yeah. And that is just not okay for me. It's just not, you yeah. know, and there are people within this industry who you think have the ethics and the morals and like, they're always the ones out front with the hashtags. But then when someone comes and says, oh, you want to draw this Batman book? And they're like, oh, ethics? I don't need ethics. I'm good. I'm drawing Batman. And that drives me bananas. I can't handle it. And I'm definitely not going to have it in my own career for any amount of money or notoriety. Never going to happen. Lamar Hoskins said it best on, the, I think it was the second episode of Falcon Winter Soldier. A paycheck's a paycheck. Paychecks a paycheck. And some people, but and some I have people that's, able to sleep. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's the, the and that's sometimes that's all, you, all some people need. It's a yep. paycheck. It's a paycheck. It's a paycheck. It's like, but there's more to it than that. Like, yep. Um, like I don't have kids. I don't have dependents. It's me and my husband, and he's as you know off the rails about this as I am. And we both we work independently. I mean, we started doing it, you know, full-time during the pandemic um, and during cancer. But now that, you know, I'm in remission and getting back on my feet, we've got a lot of plans. He's a toy maker. He has okay. a bunch of 3D um, printers running in his room all the time. He's currently doing um, custom troopers. Okay. That's uh, his main side business right now. Um, but we've been designing statues and stuff together, you know, just whatever it is we want to see. Yeah. And we both made an agreement that we're not going to take that corporate money if we can help it. Right, right. You know, yeah. if it gets desperate and it's what we need to, to stay alive, great. But for quite a while now, we've been doing okay on our own. Yeah. And uh, I'm good with that. I don't, I don't need the powers that be telling me what to do and how to do it. <laughs> All right, so let's do this real quick, just so we can give the uh, uh, listeners a little bit of tidbit here. Uh, what are the things that you've done? Kind of give us a quick list of some of the things. I know, like I said, you did drag queens. I believe there was a Wonder Woman art you did as well. I, I've dabbled in pretty much everything. Um, I did get to do a Wonder Woman story with Tina Robbins, which was a huge honor. She's so amazing. Um, worked with a wonderful editor there. Um, and then the main things that, you know, you can find on um, like at Barnes and Noble or Amazon or Comixology, you can find volume three of Rat Queens. That's the only one I drew. Mm -hmm. um, I did a short run on a creator owned book called Kid Lobotomy with okay. Peter Milligan, which is, was a really interesting book to draw. 
Uh, my editor on that was Shelly Bond, who that was educational, <laughs> rolling with rolling with Miss Bond. Um, she's married to Philip Bond, who used to be part of the old Tank Girl crew. Uh-huh. Um, he's phenomenal, like highly recommend anything that he ever touches. But working with Milligan on Kid Lobotomy, I think was probably the most educational run on a comic I've ever had, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause it's Milligan. And the most recent one I did was a run on Dungeons and Dragons, A Darkened Wish with my buddy B. Dave Walters. Um, and that was, that's the one I think right now I'm the most proud of because it's the one I wanted since I was little mm-hmm. and I got to pick him. I got to bring him in and say, look, this is the dude for the job that, and that was rad because, um, he hadn't done published stuff yet. Oh, cool. So, and he is just the sweetest, most amazing gentle giant. Um, he's huge. He's like, I call him the, the, you know, Southern California Sasquatch because he's just, he's the (laughs) biggest dude and he's always hungry. So while we were working, he would be out at like one, two o'clock in the morning, just roaming the streets to go get food. He'd just go for a walk and we'd talk about the book and he'd had these characters developed for a while. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. But he, you know, he threw in a couple characters, uh, well, one specifically just for me, which was a Kenku, um, a big talking raven. And it was one of those books that where you get to see the characters from level one all the way to level 20, okay. like where they become mini gods. And you can see him all the time um, on Twitch. He's always leading D&D games. Um, the dude is just always on camera and he's so much fun to watch. Um, but that's the one from IDW that I always recommend people grab because that's my favorite work I've ever done. Cool, cool. Now, cool. you mentioned D&D, you mentioned all these different things about uh, the stuff that you've done. Uh, now, do you get do you play D&D much? I don't get to anymore. And there's a story behind that. Basically, my whole life with Dungeons and Dragons started when I was like six. My older siblings, I have four, Um, three of them used to get together with their friends to go play at my older sister's apartment. And this was back in the day when you'd go into like the hobby shop and there would be a list and you could just sign your name to the list and they would put you together with other people who wanted to play D and D. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you just meet strangers. And this is back in the day where the, the figurine or the, um, the minis were pewter. So you'd have like the wall of pewter figures. And that was my favorite thing about D&D. I thought it was just playing with toys. I didn't understand. So my sister, one of my sisters would take me in and we'd go and she, okay, which one do you want? What color do you think it should be? And she taught me how to paint minis when I was itty bitty because she knew oh, I was wow. artistic. Yeah. Yeah. But I wasn't allowed to play. So they would play till all hours of the night and I would get to spend the night on the couch. So I would take my stuffed animals camp out on the couch and watch Star Trek. That was my favorite show. It was brand new at the time, Next Generation. And my siblings, yeah, exactly. My siblings and their friends would be sitting around her big, huge kitchen table and I would listen. So in my head, since I wasn't allowed to be over there, I would make up what they looked like as I laid there on the couch pretending to sleep. And that was 
when I decided, you know, one day Dungeons and Dragons is going to be my life. That was my goal. Yeah. I was going to live to draw dragons and all the pictures in the, the, the game books. That was going to be me. Naive though I was, I did grow up to work on D&D comics. So I feel like I did fulfill that dream. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I went on to play in junior high with friends and it was really fun. But it was always hard being the only girl at the table oh, because yeah. the boys never wanted to just play. And I was hardcore into it. I was hardcore like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get in here. I wanted to act out the parts and the boys wanted to talk about, you know, dating. Yeah, not cool boy stuff, though. Girl and boy stuff. And I was yeah. not happy. In the midst so, of a D&D game. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it was always like, like, you know, their character wanted to be with my character. And I was like, I'm going home. (laughs) I'm done. But then high school, um, I had issues with much older men who were part of the community and who abused me. And I was assaulted in a really, really bad way after one of those game nights and I didn't play again Hmm. for about 20 years until I did a game over on the Geek and Sundry channel a couple years back and I was terrified and I didn't realize at the time it was because it was so triggery Um, but that's the last game of D&D I ever got to play and I had talked to a lot of people about possibly starting up a game but everybody I knew who wanted to play was out of state or international. Yeah. And so I've never, I've never gotten to do it. It's a dream of mine to be able to have like a weekly game. My husband really wants to play. He's played like once and he's well, so down for it. Let me, let me extend an invitation. Uh, now we haven't been able to do it in a while because with everything, work schedules and stuff like that, usually my co-host and I, uh, and I'll send you links if you'd like for the Pathfinder campaign we've been doing. Right on. That would be and awesome. So I have a gigantic mountain of a man that is a monk. Um, <laughs> and so his name is Harbinger. And he sounds like this. Very <laughs> solemn. And he speaks with about nature and things. And he often will, you know, he, he doesn't want to fight necessarily, but if he has to fight, it will be to defend others' lives. And <laughs> I have a whole backstory for him. I mean, I did a little mini comic for him just to start off where he's fighting a werebear. Uh, nice. So there's just all sorts of crazy stuff there. But anyway, so uh, we do it through Roll, I think it's called Roll 20. Yep. And uh, we do it through there, but then of course we get on Discord, we record the podcast, and so one of the guys, one of my co-hosts, they do the DMing, and we just go. Cool. So if that's something you'd be interested in, I will get you the proper stuff and you can join us on Discord when we do that as episodes. We usually do them on like a Sunday afternoon. Cool. And so that's something if you want to do that that way, you know, and and I promise you, yes, we're all dudes that are in it, but trust me when I tell you, we're just about the adventure. Like I said, I can shit, I can get you the episodes. Right on. So you can kind of catch up to the stories. Uh, honestly post-cancer i'm saying yes to all kinds of stuff now um 
since I broke away from the industry and a lot of those people, a lot of those scenes, um, I find myself with a whole lot more time on my hands. I get to make my own rules. And after cancer, I'm a lot less afraid. I used to be real anxious about even doing interviews like this. Um, I just would say, no, no, thank you. I don't do those. You're actually my first one back in the game. And I think this might be my very first Zoom interview, actually. Well, I am honored to, to be that first. Um, and I will hope that it's a great experience for you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's really Not cool. Not a problem at all. So let's talk about something else now. We, we mentioned sure. the art that you're, we mentioned the stuff that you've done. You mentioned the project that you're currently working on. So let's, mm -hmm. let's dig into that some. Sure. What do you want to know? You want me to give you the pitch? <laughs> Whatever. I leave the floor open. So however you want to tell it, you tell it. I mean, I'm... I don't want to limit and say, well, just give me the picture of it. <laughs> Whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> right on. This is something that I've wanted to do in some form or fashion for a really, really long time. Uh, the main character's name is Artith. He's 15. And she's absolutely your average 90s style D&D uh, fantasy kid. She's very much, you know, uh, the, the best bits of me at that age. And she's dealing with um, abuse from a much older man. And she's dealing with problems at home. And so the whole thing all together clocks in at about 450 pages so far. Okay. I have it pretty much entirely planned out. I know exactly what my ending is, where I'm headed. I know my, my, what my target is. Uh, but I don't quite know how many issues it's going to take to get there. So right now, um, I've been experimenting with a or a, a printer in England that I really like called Mixum. And I've been making art books, coloring books, uh, just little things to experiment with what they have available printing-wise. Okay. And then after that, it's going to be 20-page issues with a maybe five to 10 pages of back matter. And we're going to put them out ourselves. I'm going to sell them through the online shop. I got, I have relationships with multiple comic book shops locally and abroad. So mm -hmm. I'm going to be shooting them some books. And once I get through all of this, I'm going to collect it into a graphic novel. And my plan was always to put it out myself, but I have had a couple of suggestions from you know, older folks in the community who are like, no, listen, let's talk to an actual publishing house. So okay. they've been kind of trying to guide me in that direction. So that's a little up in the air. We'll see when it's all done, you know, what the landscape looks like. But yeah, I'm, I'm completely independent. I haven't even contacted any companies, any editors at companies to have them look at it. I'm literally just going out on my own. Okay. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter, uh, just T-E-S-S-F-O-W-L-E-R um, over on Twitter and all of my announcements drop there first. So whenever it's time to pick it up, that will be where to go. That's really groovy. That's really groovy. I, I think it's interesting to kind of tell this story. So when you're telling the story of the character, 
uh, through the stuff she's going through, is this just more of a survival story or are we going to see her be able to walk into this fantasy world that she loves? There is an abandoned mall okay. in the middle of Los Angeles and there is a portal. And I'm not going to tell you what the portal looks like or how she gets through it, but there is a portal. Like 80s labyrinth Jim Henson style Nice. Going to the other world. Um, there's that that thing that I grew up on in the 80s that we all grew up on in the 80s. Uh, uh, you know, traveling into the ether and meeting all the cool puppet monsters. There's mm -hmm. all of that. The never-ending story and such. Yes, yes. And, and Dark Crystal. Yes, and all of the, all of my She-Ra, My Little Pony, you know, Ninja Turtle stuffed animal action stories are all in here. I about to say, I just need to see a scene where we have somebody out of Texas flying yep. up and there's ponies behind her, like yep. running up a wall, running up a building as a gigantic see? stuffed animal is tan stuff up. Just See, you get me. You get me. That is my style. That is my aesthetic. <laughs> that is all I've ever wanted. Okay, so I'm gonna make this offer right now. I know you've not seen much of my art. But I'm gonna put this out there. If you need a pin up or something, let me know. Oh, heck yes, yes, definitely. This is where I'm pulling in all of my 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 indie friends, all of my you know everybody who's who's you know had my back been in my corner everybody outside of you know the main five people who get jobs all the time like this is where i get to build my world make my stories and let my friends come play that is the goal okay so i will be working up some stuff <laughs> <laughs> right on right on I have ideas on my head okay so you mentioned your Twitter, and I'm glad you mm -hmm. did that. I appreciate that. Uh, as an artist, I want yes. to ask this question. Who are some artists that influenced Tess Fowler? Oh, wow. Um, my first one, of course, was Wendy Penny. I mean, that, I can't, course, yep. yeah, I can't speak about my trajectory without bringing up her name. Like, people still call me out for the way I draw elf ears. Cause they're like, wow, those are penny ears. I'm like, shut up. I know <laughs> I can't outgrow it. They just keep coming back. Um, Frazetta, Frazetta was a very early influence. Uh, Elmore, Larry Elmore. Mm -hmm. I have one of the Dragonlance pinups or uh, covers framed on my wall. Oh, nice. Um, oh man. Let's get a little more current. Gabriel Rodriguez. Uh, he's just oh i can't deal like his work on lock and key changed my life mm -hmm. i developed such an understanding of storytelling from studying his work um let's see last one i'll mention uh on instagram is moose kleenex that's what she goes by moose kleenex um, okay i'll have to look her up yeah, Moose Kleenex. She's an independent artist, and I actually have a number of her pieces, prints, and originals up on my walls. She did one while that was posted, I believe, while I was going through cancer, and it was a little ghost up on a cliff with like waves crashing, and 
it was such a moving piece like some of her pieces are so melancholy in the most beautiful way um and she she does these amazing videos where she she inks with a brush which are really peaceful and amazing um but that piece that ghost piece i kept coming back to it again and again and again because it was so emotional i was so attached to it and a lot of her work is like that um, I could go on for days, but I think that's five. <laughs> I think you asked for five. Okay. No, I didn't ask for a number. Oh, you didn't? Okay. Nope. Let's keep going. There's yep. another artist on Instagram called Haikala, H-E-I-K-A-L-A. And Haikala is actually the reason I took up watercolor painting and was brave enough to do it. I believe Moose, Moose Kleenex and Haikala are both younger than me, um, but they are amazing artists. Um, they have the kind of independent career that I always advise other, you know, younger kids to look at. Like, listen, you don't need companies. You don't need to go through all the stuff that we went through when we were your age. Look at this. All you need is an Instagram, a piece of paper and a pen. Like, just go for it. Um, but I, I have a number of favorites from comics. Um, Fabio Moon, uh, is probably one of my all-time top five. Um, and his brother Gabriel, of course. Um, Fabio actually reached out uh, a couple times while I was going through cancer, um, mm -hmm. just with words of encouragement. Um, you know, he, he I guess at, at one time had fought it himself and I hopefully I'm not outing him for that. I, I, I assume everyone knew, um, but he reached out a couple times and I wasn't drawing while I was going through chemo and everything. I was so like just spiritually broken. And yeah. when he wrote me, he talked about continuing to make comics throughout being sick. And I, that's what pulled me up off the couch. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You're so right. I, I got to get back in the game. So I, I picked up a pen in the middle of, you know, my suffering and the art got me through it. So I, I owe that man so much. <laughs> like, wow. so he has no idea. He has no idea what all of that meant to me. Um, but yeah, the Fa Fabio had a, a big hand in saving my life this past year. Um, but God, there are so many amazing artists. Uh, Tony Sandoval, he goes by Reign of Doom on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, his work is, even up to this day, hugely inspirational. Like a lot of my watercolor work is inspired by him. Um, that's one dude I hope I get to meet one day. Um, I could go on for days. Colleen Duran, uh, Ramona Fraden, um, Allison Sampson. I love Allison Sampson's work. Like if you ever see her progress shots, it starts out like such a mess, <laughs> like, you know, like, wow, where is she going with that? And, but by the end, it comes together into some of the most expressive, uh, energetic comic book art. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there again. This could take like days and I can well, just tell you how many people I love. <laughs> I just want to say for one, um, I looked up uh, Moose Kleenex yeah. and I saw, you know, the first three pieces 
And the first one that really spoke to me was actually the one with the toucan. Yeah. And I don't know what it is, but I see this toucan and I'm like, that's the first time I've ever thought of a toucan in a majestic way. Yeah. It's just the way it's framed and everything with eyes closed. It's just a very beautiful I'm thinking of something. Yep. You know, don't know what, we don't need to know. That's all yep. for him to know or her to know. It's just, we know there's a toucan and they're thinking about something. At least <laughs> when I see it. This is really cool. But the art is really, the art has a lot of emotion and expression in it. Yeah. Yeah. Moose Kleenex was exploring, like this past year or two, Moose Kleenex was exploring a lot of stuff personally. Um, not very open about it, you know, but we all knew there was something going on. Um, and the art changed, you know, the, the earlier stuff was different. And, and, and I can definitely say once the struggle sets in, your art has to bend and adapt and come with you. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting watching uh her art do that it was really cool um but if you go back through there is one of a little ghost on a cliff with crashing waves and that was my oasis through a lot of my cancer journey was just that little post and i own it now i actually bought it from her oh wow yeah so yeah i'm just looking through but um you mentioned these artists you mentioned how they inspired you and uh, I just want to say from looking at your art that I've seen, I appreciate the depth in it. I and there is the ghost. There it is. Yep. I just found it. Uh, but I just want to say I appreciate the art that I've seen from you so far. And I believe that there's going to be greater things coming out of it. Uh, not only because there's passion in it. And you can, you can tell when, to use a wrestling term, you can tell when people are just, uh, are just, just putting a needle on it and just run it. Yeah. They're not really, you know, they're not really putting any of themselves in it. They're just going through the motions, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but you can also tell when people have a lot of passion in their artwork, and you can tell when there's a story behind it. And so that's one of the reasons why, as I started looking at, you know, different things on your Twitter and things like that, as you were talking about things, I was like, I really would like to talk to her. I really would like to just, just pick her brain about stuff. Right on. And so that's kind of the reason I was like, well, let me reach out, you know, because I reached out to a lot of people and I don't mind yeses, I don't mind no's. I only mind indifference, but even then I can't control that. Like, <laughs> if I just don't respond at all, then I'm just kind of like, eh. but you know, some people will say like, nah, I really can't do that right now. Okay, that's cool. And I'm gonna roll on yeah. to the next one. And then like, you know, making sure schedules are succinct and everything as well. So you brought all these artists to me. And first of all, thank you. I'm going to be listening back over this episode several times to make sure I look up these artists. Because mm -hmm. uh, as I try to level up and, and get better at my art, um, I'm always looking for inspiration. And I know I'm not the only one that listens to the show that looks for inspiration in art. That's one of the reasons, especially when I have artists on, I like to ask them who their inspirations are. Um, so from your standpoint, here's the question I want to ask you. If yeah. there was something you could tell an artist to encourage them as they develop their art, as they work through their different struggles and things like that, because we all have things we're working through, uh, what would be something you would advise? Don't aspire to work for companies. Um, hone your craft 
for yourself. Do what brings you joy and look for, like you have the internet, look for others like you. There is always going to be um, artists somewhere who have the same type of uh, tastes, um, styles, uh, sensibilities. Find your people, your art people. Your, uh, your art family is out there and they will help you develop. My first art family was the he- on the heavy metal magazine forums. Okay. That was where I got my start. And we were all different types of artists, painters, illustrators, uh, comic book people. And we all came together daily, hourly sometimes if we were going through something and we critique each other's work. That's, that was my first real uh, proving ground, if you will. Um, you want to find that. Also, anybody who stands in your way, throw an elbow. Don't hesitate. Don't be polite. Don't be nice. Throw an elbow. As, a, as an artist, you are going to have uh, buzzards circling who will try to take advantage of you. Um, so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to fight to protect your work. Um, Advice on getting better, advice on improving your skills, advice advice on becoming a better storyteller, things like that. Look to your betters. There's going to be someone who has come before you who has struggled and found the answer to whatever question you have. Like for me, one day, I didn't know how to draw like, domestic city trees the kind of pruned you know trimmed tree you would see on a a nice uh suburban street corner right and (laughs) i found gabriel rodriguez of lock and key and was like oh his whole language for translating the world into black and white was something that spoke to me on like a spiritual level and all of a sudden it clicked so there's still pieces of him in my work, but he was one of those gateway artists for me to actually understanding the craft. Yeah. So look for that because for all of us, the, the person or people who are going to speak to us in that way are all different. Hmm. They're all different. Okay, all right, all right, well, wow. Um, that felt like a masterclass in and of itself. That could be broken out <laughs> into a little miniature things there. Um, yeah. So I also want to say this. I know on the podcast in the past, you know, we've talked about the whole comics gate world versus the <laughs> yeah. comics world. Uh, our feelings. I think one of our main things was with the Jay Lee situation that came out last year. Oh, yeah. That was uh, we talked about that. And I'm sitting there going, I remember it was weird because I didn't know what was happening. Like, I think the day that Jay Lee announced his dog had passed away. Yeah. I love Jay Lee's stuff. Like, since, back since, like, Hell Shock and the old Marvel Comics Presents covers. And, yeah. like and so I sent him a message. I was like, hey, big fan. Just wanted to say I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your pet. 
I had a real good friend who had a miniature schnauzer named Sir Oliver Jones II. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was never a Sir Oliver Jones the first. <laughs> he was just the second. And he yeah. earned every minute of that second. Um, and he was my buddy. Yeah. I saw that little miniature schnauzer. He was like, nope, I don't care if you're busy. You're going to come to these steps. And you're going to pet me until I say you're good. <laughs> Once you say, I say you're good, you can do whatever else you came in. I know you're in a hurry. I don't care. Don't spend time on it. <laughs> he was raised by the cat that he'd paw you just so that you know, like, hey, hey, I'm over here. <laughs> I'm going to go to the steps. Are you coming? And we were pals. Like, I would come in, like, if I think the first summer I did mission work down in Texas. Mm-hmm. And then I came back that second summer. When I pulled up in the car, they said he started dancing. <laughs> and he knew it was me. Because, like, as soon yeah. as I walked in the door, he just boom, straight, like, went through everybody's legs. Just like, hey, buddy, come on. <laughs> That was my bud, but I said I, I I just want to say I understand how even though he wasn't my pet, yeah, I understand how much of an effect animals could have on us. And yeah. so I just want to say I'm sorry for your loss. I'm praying for you and your family during this tough time. He was just like, man, I really appreciate that. Thanks. You know, that was all I got, and all that stuff went down where you know he did the cover for one of the comics. There were the people that worked at Comics Gate, and, and then mm-hmm. people started blasting him. It's just like, oh, he's this, and, and I'm like, look. I understand that if you look at a scale, there, there are balances on all sides. And I get yeah. That. But it's like when he has to come out while he's in the process of trying to bury his animal and say, I'm not on either side. I just love doing comics, man. Don't just leave me alone and let me do that. Like, I got blow up notifications all day long. I'm trying to take care of something very sacred to me and my wife. Mm-hmm. And now we got to deal with all this on top of stuff. People trying to cancel me and everything because I did a cover for somebody that paid me to do a cover. Mm-hmm. What a job. Like, and, and so, and I, I, and I don't know where I fall. I really don't. I can't say, well, pick a side. It's not, it's not that simple because there are a lot of good comics on both sides. Mm-hmm. And so, and sometimes it's just learning to separate the people from the, from the work. But at the same time, it's just like you still want to stand up for who you are, too. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, it's it's heartbreaking. And I just, I don't know how to feel about it. Because I feel like well, it's so much of a war in something that should be so basic. You know, it's comics. Do you love comic books? Yes. Do you love good stories? Yes. Do you love good artwork? Yes. Okay, why are we doing all this infighting? That's the thing that I think a lot of people on all sides of the aisle don't want to discuss. We have an, an American industry that has, for all of its history, eaten people alive financially. And there's a lot of old dogs. A lot of a lot of our veterans, a lot of our elders within the industry, I mean, you know, and in the greater world, mm-hmm. who there's no protection, there's no plan. Like I spoke earlier of that five-year shelf life. Right. What happens after that five years? Exactly. So you have this situation where there's 
there's a lot of sides to it. And what has happened to older professionals who have basically outlived their usefulness, they're cast off. They don't get the jobs anymore. So whoever's offering a paycheck, they got to eat. Right. They got to earn. Got to pay bills. And to abuse them for getting that paycheck is erroneous in my mind. And I mean, keep in mind, the whole comic skate thing started, you know, a, a handful of years ago, and I was one of their central first targets. And the things that they did um, had a very horrible effect on my life. They, I was doxxed, I had death threats, I had rape threats, I had, it was bad. It was really, really bad. And I saw others hit worse than me. And it royally pissed me off. It was endless. And it took, like, pretty much for all of Kid Lobotomy, I was being attacked um, in heinous ways by the hundreds. And it became the norm. Nowadays, I most definitely, um, I'm always going to be a a nuanced speaker. I am always going to try to explain the gray area of things like the older pros who don't make the money, who might be desperate for a paycheck, who might say yes to certain people who maybe they shouldn't. Right. I, I, I'm always going to defend that type of situation that's in the gray area Mm -hmm. but I personally am always going to have a problem with anyone who affiliates with that group I am never going to be okay with it there will never be peace between us and I will never argue that they have a right to behave that way what I do find interesting though is there are a number of them who miss nuance (laughs) who and what i wish i could say to some of them the non-racist non you know let me go get your address and freak you out people i don't understand that that like there okay you know there's a weird thing like and i'm gonna bring up a tweet you mentioned earlier to prove this point yeah Y'all have been too hard on new mutants. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, for me, as a fan of new mutants, uh, it messed me up a bit when I saw the trailer. Yeah. First of all, because it reminded me a whole lot of that Dark Phoenix movie that came out beforehand. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I-, I tried. I really did. <laughs> um but when I saw the trailer, I was like, wow, this seems like an extension of the stuff that I can't get out of my head. Yeah. So for me, the trailer didn't do its job. Now, for some sure. people were going to gravitate toward it just because it's it's Marvel, it's comics, they're going to get it no matter what. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't get down with it. 
So you saying that, I was like, okay, well, obviously she enjoyed it. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to dox you, make death threats, rape threats, and anything because you love the movie. I didn't. Well, but that's the thing is you don't have a problem with, you know, a a woman like me saying, I like something. Right. It doesn't insult your masculinity. It doesn't, it doesn't make you feel a certain type of way. You're just like, oh, you like it. Great. I don't. That's cool. And I don't have a problem with you not liking it. Right. And that's the thing. It blows my mind how, and again, the origin of why this is called conversations about dot 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 is because I feel like we as a culture are losing the art of conversation. For sure. To where I can agree with you or disagree with you, but we can still continue to talk. Yeah. In a civil fashion and exchange ideas because that's the whole thing. But that's the thing. If I sat here and said something completely horribly racist, you'd be like, all right, end of talk like we're not about, look, i'll give you one chance to make that right but if we can't exactly. make that right i'm out of here like, exactly and yeah. that is the crux of the issue because when comic skate was started it was started from a place of absolute hatred by someone who was a very sad very pathetic individual who did not have it within himself to say okay, you know, I'm not really a fan of where the industry is going. Let me pick apart why the industry is going in this direction and really, you know, study the nuances of why I'm feeling this way. He right. went straight to, You're, these are diversity hires. These are just loudmouth women. Get back in the kitchen. And it was like, bro. I mean, the real conversation that I wish could happen is... Yeah, sexy, you know, big booby comics in the 90s were fun. They were great. It wasn't because they were all made by white dudes. Right. You know, that's not the reason. I mean, and Jim Lee, reason... I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, please. I was just going to say, Jim Lee, Psylocke, I don't need to say anything else. Seriously. <laughs> you know, but the, the argument that oh, you're, you know, trying to squash white men's opinions and real men like titties and like, no, you know what? I like titties too. I like titties in my comics. I like naked ones. I like big bouncy ones. I like, uh, uh, I like cheesecake. I like, um, I mean, I was, I cut my teeth on heavy metal sci-fi fantasy erotica. Right. That's where, that's where I roll, you know, but I'm not out there saying, we need just that the problem with this industry is that it's all superheroes if we treated it like books like regular run-of-the-mill books you'd have western comics and romance comics and porn comics and there would be something for everyone the argument is not oh all comics you know mainstream american comics need to be written by white men and get rid of the black people and the gay people and all of that that's not the argument the argument is these companies are not fulfilling the needs of everyone there should be a category for everyone i can go in the local bookstore and i can find something i like 
and so can my husband and so can my auntie and so can my mama and everybody has a section comics need to do the same then there's no need for all of the infighting there's no need for all of the arguing because we all have our section see you know what i mean yeah well it's like uh and i hope to get 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 them on soon sophie campbell it's yeah. awesome turtle stuff. Uh, but my first experience with Sophie Campbell was Wet Moon. Yes. The thing I noticed about her women was her women were drawn differently proportional. Oh, I'm jumping up and down right now. And Sophie then, Campbell's art, the mm-hmm. way she draws women for me was so like, oh my God, somebody gets it. This is so cool because. Yeah. I'm a huge proponent of, you know, drawing real women, women of all sizes, women of all races, women of, you know, the varieties of women. That's the spice of life. Sophie owns that and always has. Yeah. And even when you look at her turtle stuff, her turtles don't look the same. Mm -hmm. They have slightly different shape language depending on which turtle it is. So even if my, you say take the bandana off, you know who you're talking to. You know who's engaged in the conversation. She's a brilliant, brilliant storyteller. My husband has been collecting her entire run, and every time a new issue comes out, he's like, "Oh my god, have you seen this? Like yeah. the little baby animals." I haven't gotten to um, to to read all of them yet, but he's constantly like, "Oh my god, look at this little you know animal right here in the corner. Like this is so cool." Um, no, she's amazing. The other artist that I love that I've had on the podcast is Terry Moore. Oh, uh, you got to talk to Terry Moore. That's so I cool. Did Terry Moore is one of the sweetest, nicest people I've ever talked to. And I think I asked him a question about just understanding black and white depths and drawing different people. He yeah, spent like almost forty-five minutes, basically talking about the different types of ways in which he draws and things like that. I'm just sitting there like, again, I'm almost like dumbfounded. I'm just like sitting there going, thank you so much. (laughs) He's such an old school art nerd. I Mm -hmm. love that. That is my favorite part about comics. Yeah, but his women are so different too. Like, they don't look like the standard, you know, the standard Jim Lee woman in the 90s, you know. There's nothing wrong with Jim Lee's women. There's nothing wrong with Frank Cho's women. Uh, There's nothing wrong with Joe Madura's women. Other than yep. I don't think, uh, I think it's Red Monica. I don't know how well she translates into a real life situation if they ever did a live <laughs> film. Because I think her proportions are like, are there people that have her proportions? Probably. Can they act? Probably not. For that type of film. So yeah. I'm just going to leave it at that. But yeah. They're- Frank Cho, man. Oh, Frank Cho is one of those artists who, you know, you, you dig into the art and it's like, oh, just the, the turn of that ankle or the way the, the boobies stretches out, you know, the t-shirt. There's just these little pockets and corners of some of his pieces that mm-hmm. I just sit there and stare at. And I'm like, I hate you. I hate you, Frank. Like, why are you this I hate good? you, but I want to learn from you at the same time. <laughs> exactly. I want to sit in a room with you with your ballpoint pens and draw for hours. Just sit there and try to figure out how you do all that with a ballpoint pen. Just let me be a fly on the wall. Just let me watch. <laughs> like you can exactly. say now, just I'm a fly on a wall on the art table. Multiple <laughs> <laughs> arms. Yeah, that would be great. 
And totally. So, you know, yeah. And that's the thing, like, uh, another artist I would highly recommend to you is Palin Smith. Uh, oh, who's that? She draws, for, um, she draws a lot of stuff, I know, for SourcePoint Press. Uh, she did a book called Hope with uh, another friend of mine named Dirk Manning. And I say friend, we actually met and helped move cabinets at a con. Right on. So we literally became friends moving black uh, cabinets in the middle of Texas heat when it was like 98 degrees. Oh. I literally just got off a plane and got a ride over to the shop. And they're like, we got these new cabinets, but we got to get them in. Dirk and I were like, let's go. It was like, well, y'all are my guests. What? No, let's go. Let's get these things in there. It's like, well, I, I wait till my staff can say later. We can just grab these cabinets. And of course, we grabbed them, and me forgetting, because I live in Kentucky now, forgetting that black metal cabinets in Texas heat don't equal good things for your skin. I think we literally left piece of our skin on those cabinets. <laughs> but Dirk was talking to me about his books, and like he does one, he's written one called Haunted High Alms uh, mm -hmm. with the group Twisted. Uh, mm -hmm. And they're involved with it. But Hope is awesome. Kayla Smith's work is great. Uh, Hope is an interesting book because it's literally the concept of if you are a woman who's a superhero, but the government finds out that you're a superhero, what would they do to protect that secret? Yeah. And it involves, I mean, she's got to fight for her daughter. Uh, without spoiling too much, she's got to fight for her daughter while her husband is like on a. I don't remember if he died or if he was on like in a coma from a wreck. Oh, like, cool. She's trying to save them. And so it's kind of this idea of it's a superhero, superhero comic book, but it ain't at all. Like it really does a lot with PTSD from, from the past. And when she was a superhero and things like that. And now trying to hide that from the rest of her family because her daughter didn't even know. Her yeah. husband didn't know. Nobody knew in the family because she was told to suppress it. Yeah. And so. It was, yeah, that was, Kayla Smith, I highly recommend you find her art. She's got some great stuff out there, too. She just did a, a thing with, uh, I think the, they did a kid's imprint called Scoot, and the name of the book oh, is cool. actually Loot. That's really kind of <laughs> funny if you think about it, like Scoot and Loot. But, uh, yeah, so it's basically a little teenage Indiana Jones type thing. It's a teenage Very girl cool. trying to find this treasure that her dad, I think, told her about growing up. So... Right on. I love recommendations. Very cool. I got homework now. Okay. So, Tess, thank you so much for being willing to come on and have a conversation with me. Of course. Thanks for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Um, fun. Thanks for uh, showing me I had nothing to be afraid of all these years. <laughs> yay! I like that. I like people feeling good about it. So, I tell you what. Here's an invite back at a later time. When you get closer to releasing that first book, I want sure. to talk to you again because I want to be able to promote that, help promote that out to the rest of the world so they know about it. Thank uh, you. You really have a store, that. so I want to make sure you plug your store as well. Very cool. Yes, I have a store envy shop where you can get coloring books. Um, in the future, my husband and I are doing, uh, we're in the middle of working on children's books about my Food Dragon print series. You can get original art, prints of all sizes, and all my comics will be available through there. You can find that through any of my bios on Twitter or Instagram. Instagram is Tess Fowler and the number seven, the digit seven after. Um, and on Twitter, again, it's just my name, T-E-S-S-F-O-W-L-E-R. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, and I greatly appreciate it. And guys, listen, do me a favor. Go check out, check out her stuff. Um, I know that... Like I said, I've seen stuff and I'm just blown away by it. 
her watercolors are beautiful. I believe you're also doing some commissions right now as well, are you not? Yes, actually, I should add that. Thank you. My commission list has been reopened and it will be open until June 1st. Um, my rates are at the top of my Twitter page in a pinned tweet and anything goes. You can get, you know, family portrait, your Dungeons and Dragons OC, uh, things that are not safe for work. If you can think of it, chances are I can draw it, paint it, make it beautiful. So hit me up and oh, also tomorrow, I am officially reopening for work. I am not doing interiors, but if you have, you know, your latest indie comic and you're looking for a cover, um, I'm doing covers for everything, for albums, prose novels, comics, whatever it is. And I am looking to work with independent people first. So if you're afraid, if you're intimidated because of, you know, who I've worked for in the past, don't sweat it. Come one, come all. That opens tomorrow. Okay. And I just want to say I'm on your stone in every store, every shop right now. I saw a picture of one of your mermaids. And the first thought I thought was Richardson. Oh, really? Independent <laughs> project on mermaids. She's doing a project on mermaids? Yep. She did a Kickstarter. She finished a Kickstarter and everything. I think for book one. And she's going to be doing a Kickstarter for other stuff. If I were you, and I'm sure you may have contacts with her, uh, but if I were you, I would get with her because I think that could be an interesting collaboration. That would be cool. I love her. Mermaids from different, different eras of history and all that, linking them to different cultures. So there's a lot of cultural stuff. I think the first book was still with mermaids in and around the Louisiana area. Ooh. She's slowly spreading out around the world, so it's really cool. And I got to talk to her a little bit about that on on a past episode as well. So very cool. And of course, just very awesome cool. people. Yeah, uh, and I might just need to throw money at her, and just you know, get in on it. Hey, hey, <laughs> I, look, look, I don't mind. I the first time I met her, I was part of a con. I was part of a, a Space Cadets collection mm -hmm. collection con. And uh, she was on. It was funny because uh, one of the guys I was co-hosting with, and he was talking to one of the other guys. So it's Afua and Henri Cotman. So Henri was talking Ooh. with him and everything. And I'm just sitting there looking at this thing. And I, and I, out of the corner of my ear, I heard Henri mention something about, yeah, I wrote this book about my grandfather. He died. Such and, such. and I'm going, this is incredibly awesome. And Kyle just stops. He's like, Bill, what are you talking about? I said, you see the artwork she's doing right there? That's beautiful stuff. He's like, you know we were talking about his granddad, right? I was like, no, I told him I wasn't listening. I'm sorry. <laughs> the artwork. And then they're like, you know what? I get it. It's okay. I fully understand. And the fool started laughing. And she was just like, yeah. You know, and, and like she's worked with stuff with Michelle Nichols and Fortune yeah. in the world of Wakanda for Marvel. And yep. Just wow. I appreciate talking to awesome people who do awesome things. Again, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been an awesome conversation, but I hope we get to do this again sometime. Yeah, let's do it. That's the plan. I love that. And again, thank you so much for having me on. I was super scared. I was super nervous and I had nothing to be nervous about. Thanks. Oh, I'm glad. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you just joined us for another conversation about dot, dot, dot. My name is Will. 
this has been a conversation with Tess Fowler about her awesome artwork. Go support her. Go check her out. The links and everything will be in the description of the episode. You have just been a part of this episode, and beyond all else, guys, do me a favor. Be blessed. Be a blessing to somebody. Take care.